for now, I want to introduce my guest, uh, Rabbi Dr. Shaul Praver, was the first responder at the terribly memorable shooting in Newtown, Connecticut at the Sandy Hook Elementary School in December of 2012. He is known as the Rabbi of Sandy Hook. That's when the world first met him uh, in his spiritual care of the suffering on that unimaginable day. Rabbi Praver was ordained by the Jerusalem rabbinate in 1989 and holds a doctor of ministry from Hartford Seminary. He's a clinically trained spiritual care provider and a talented cantorial artist. If you're not familiar with uh, Jewish religious practice, uh, that's the individual who leads the liturgy of song and prayer in front of the congregation during uh, a service in the synagogue or elsewhere. Uh, Rabbi Praver was awarded Letter Writer of the Year by CAMARA in 2005, was recognized as one of the 50 most influential American rabbis by Newsweek magazine in 2013. He's a recipient of the prestigious Yuval Award from the Cantor's Assembly of North America and the Samaritan Medal of Peace and Humanitarian Accomplishments. Best of all, I think, Rabbi Praver uh, is my friend and also a senior fellow at the institute named for this guy behind me, the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute here in Washington. So let's bring Rabbi Praver into our conversation and uh, welcome him to the discussion. Uh, Rabbi, good to see your face. It, it uh, does me good like a medicine. Wonderful to see you as well, Rob. Such a pleasure. Always. Thanks. Thanks so much for your patience as I was fumbling with my phone here trying to get this streaming out. I'm still going to attempt that, but I do want to get to the heart of our conversation. Before we do that, though, let's get to know you just a okay. little bit. Um, so were you born a rabbi? No, we were told you were ordained in 1989. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a history. Give us it in a brief bio so that we know who we're talking to. So I, I came uh, from a place that you know, which is uh, Great Neck, Long Island, and sure. uh, grew up in a secular household, uh, eating um, lox and bagels and, you know, on Sunday mornings, um, not going to synagogue. Um, third generation, and my grandmother had an influence and she uh, sowed some seeds. And I was part of a, a movement called the Bale Chuva movement, which was the third generation um, that went back to, you know, real uh, traditional Judaism, uh, orthodoxy, to be clear, um, black hat, tzitzit, even some with payas. Um, and uh, I uh, studied in, in Israel for 10 years um, as uh, following that wave and came to work. Um, eventually in conservative congregations, so one notch below orthodoxy as far as uh, on the spectrum, um, and uh, have been doing that since 1989. 
Yeah, and uh, of course, I know you as kind of a multifaceted spiritual caregiver because I've known you in your role as a congregational rabbi taking care of a congregation. I've known you as, uh, I forget your your formal title, but you were actually associated with a, a church uh, in your area for a bit. Oh, yeah, certainly. Uh, we, um, My friend Matt uh, Krebin, he's the leader of our interfaith group. And uh, so I was like a scholar in residence um, there for a year. And that was a lot of fun. And, and I was so delighted with that because it kind of fused our two worlds. You mentioned Great Neck, Long Island, where my father grew up. Yes. Uh, and uh, everybody knows, you know, I've made my confession to the rabbi. My father was Jewish. My mother, a convert to Judaism, but didn't raise us with really yeah. any religious sensibilities. Uh, she was uh, born baptized Christian, and uh, then later on, I would make my choice of both religious faith and uh, career as a minister, and it just kind of fused all the worlds. And I said, "Wow, it's, we know each other here, and uh, and we've really uh, developed what I just consider one of my most important friendships." So thank you for that. I read your book for the second time, Costly Grace. And uh, I feel I'm very like, honored by that. No, you um, even more, you know, having really read that book and, um, you know, savored the words. And I, I understood, you know, um, where you were at as far as, um, you know, not really being being given a um, a very positive uh, more, uh, Judaism, more of a, um, you know, kind of a recollection of what the Nazis had done to us and Yamach Shemam and, you know, may their name be blotted out. And, Kind of a lot of trauma there, you know, that was uh, uh, unfortunately alive and well, and you know, in your generation, in our generation. See what a good spiritual caregiver he makes. <laughs> uh, I'm going to start calling you my pastor. <laughs> uh, well, we have so much to smile about, uh, and yet, in this moment, we're going to talk about something that's deeply lamentable, yes. something that should bring all of us sorrow uh, and not a little alarm because you were the first to write me. Uh, I can't remember whether you sent me an email or a text, but you, you brought my attention to the Proud Boys group that so mm -hmm. many have heard about lately and that you know, has uh, assembled not far from where I am right now in Washington, mm -hmm. D.C., uh, on more than one occasion and will again on January the 6th. And you drew my attention to something they were wearing on their chests. Mm -hmm. well, I do want to talk about the Proud Boys. I want to talk about what the Proud Boys emerge from. But let's go first to what you tipped me off to, which was deeply deeply troubling right right uh there was a um it was only one picture to be honest and you know clear about and accurate there was one picture of one proud boy amongst others wearing a t-shirt that had the uh sort of a, a little moniker on it six m w e and i didn't know what that meant 
and I kind of looked up and Googled it and found out that it meant six million wasn't enough. And, um, you know, usually I'm pretty, it takes a lot to get my amygdala, you know, uh, too excited. I, I tend, tend to be uh, very, very uh, mild and uh, try to, uh, you know, think things through and don't get you're a, too You're a sober man. You're yeah. a sober man. Right. But there is every once in a while that, that something does prick the skin and, and hurts a lot. And um, that's one of them. Um, so, you know, my, like many of our families and, and your father gave testimony to it as well. Uh, you know, you can't really knock on too many doors in the Jewish community and not find someone that lost, you know, a whole lot of people uh, in the years of World War II, the Holocaust. Um, so even though that, you know, I grew up in Great Neck, fairly affluent, we were well off, um, didn't have any of these problems whatsoever. But there, there is this collective trauma that, you know, came through that my, my grandmother made me aware of. Um, but in any case, this, uh, you could find this being sold. It was being sold uh, on Amazon for a little while until they realized what it was and then they kicked them off. And then it was sold in another uh, vendor, T um, shirts, like T T E E dash shirts, if I remember right. Um, and then and then they found out what it meant and they kicked them out as well. Um, so, as far as where these shirts are being sold, I don't really know, but um, I certainly got involved with it uh, in social media and tried to get that message out to a lot of people. Um, so that's, that maybe that's, let's start, you know, with that, the meaning of it, and I'll, I'll throw the ball back to you to see where you want to go. Well, yeah, uh, I would think just one instance of that T-shirt is enough to say, we speak to it now. Mm -hmm. So don't anybody say, oh, come on, you're exaggerating that, you know, it was one guy with one shirt in one photo in right. one place at one time, and you're making it sound like every proud boy, uh, you know, thinks Jews should be annihilated. Well, right. let me just reference something that our namesake at the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute mm -hmm. admonished us to do. He, he, he said, speak early. Mm. Don't wait till it's too late. Speak yeah. soon, not later. And so we're speaking to one instance. Now, if- Well, that if, we see, there could be a lot more. See, of course. I try yeah. to be measured though that I was only able to find one picture of this but it is advertised by vendors um, clearly stating what it is and people are buying it. So it's not just the um, Proud Boys. I don't know who was buying it, but it's, it's being, um, it was a hot item that I saw in a Newsweek um, article and that's what I know about it. Okay, so, uh, you know, we assume, I think a reasonable person would say, generally speaking, something that's online and being sold is being purchased. If it was just purchased by one or two or three other people, it's alarming enough that it was manufactured, but somebody came up with it. 
Mm -hmm. Somebody put it on a shirt. Somebody wore it. Somebody is selling it. Mm -hmm. uh, people at least can buy it if they haven't already purchased it. And what mm -hmm. is the meaning of all this? Well, right. I'd first like to go to the context. Uh, this was a gathering of men, and it's, I think, important to point out that Proud Boys is an exclusively male association. I don't know if it's incorporated. Uh, I looked, uh, frankly, I found the best uh, information on it on Wikipedia. Where else? Yeah. Uh, I often go to Wikipedia. It's not always the best, but this one has a lot of info on it. Uh, and uh, in Wikipedia, it tells us that uh, Proud Boys uh, was named from the song Proud of Your Boy from the 2011 Disney musical Aladdin. Yes. Okay, this gets weirder by the minute. <laughs> so it ha its moniker has its origin in a Disney animated, I think it was animated, Aladdin, right? Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, so uh, the founder, a uh, guy named McGinnis, uh, eventually distanced himself from the movement in 2017, saying the Proud Boys was alt-right. Uh, and uh, it goes on to say a rebranding effort intensified following the white supremacist uh, Unite the Right rally right. Uh, in, uh, in Charlottesville. Uh, and uh, of course, it's, it's a ultra right wing oppositional movement to what they name as their left wing opponents. Uh, mm -hmm. Antifa and others, when they were here in Washington recently, they were marching down the street chanting F Antifa. Right. Uh, and then tearing down uh, signs that were erected in front of black churches that celebrated Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. They then burned those signs in the street. Now, tell me, Rabbi, if, if I'm going too far here. But as I watched and read and then connected to this alarming uh, appearance of this mm -hmm. cryptic slogan on the T-shirt, my mind went immediately to the brown shirts, mm -hmm. the storm division, the paramilitary group that helped Adolf Hitler claim uh, leadership in the Nazi party in 1920s Germany. This is in my mother's lifetime, by the way. People think mm -hmm. this is the ancient distant past. This is in my mm -hmm. mother's lifetime, 1920s, early 1920s. My mother was born in 1921. Mm -hmm. uh, this occurred and these were thugs. These yes. were ruffians. These were uh, bad boys, not maybe proud boys. They were bad boys. Mm -hmm. And uh, they basically intimidated, if not beat and evicted anyone who uh, heckled or opposed Adolf Hitler in his rallies and such. They were kind of uh, a security yeah. uh, guard 
sure. group for Adolf Hitler. And they would eventually become part of the Nazi party, an official part of the Nazi party, a wing of it. Uh, and then finally start taking their positions in government. Mm -hmm. So am, am I going too far to draw an association between the two things? No, there's a study going on right now that I'm participating in offering my testimony to uh, here in Connecticut. And basically this researcher is saying that the uh, conspiracy theory, while it existed, we saw it, it, it after 9-11, we saw some um, of that taking place, that it never really happened or that it was a planned inside job and those kind of things. Um, sure, it, it had a bit of a life there, but after Sandy Hook, it really got up on its feet and started running. And, and, and it ran all the way up to the White House. Now, the president, I don't believe, could have been elected without um, this constituency. What I, what I can say about his personal beliefs uh, being, you know, that his son-in-law is Jewish, his grandchildren are Jewish, I, you know, I, I really can't speak to that. It, it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot to fathom, and it's very hard to understand these kinds of cognitive dissident scenarios. But um, I do know, and I think the whole country knows, when he was questioned at the debate, uh, the first debate, about what he thought about the Proud Boys, he said, uh, stand down and stand by, uh, which sounds to me like, you know, we're kind of in a tight spot now, so stand down now, but stand by in case we need you in the, in the future. Um, that's at least the way a lot of people hear those words. Um, and it, it also began at that uh, rally in, in Charleston. That was the first instance of not having the moral clarity and fortitude to uh, unequivocally uh, say that hate, neo-Nazism is bad, is the enemy, you know, should not be in the mainstream. Uh, is not a voice at the table that that was not that did not take place. They were, um, you know, good people on both sides. So, but uh, up until that point, going backwards, you know, uh, even in other administrations, uh, you know, in in Democratic uh, in, during the Obama years, also there were uh, conspiracy theories about Sandy Hook never really having happened, and, um, and it's so frustrating when you've buried the children and you um, you know, because you were at the core of it. Which you did. Right, exactly what took place. And you see people telling you these things and, and there's nothing that you can say to, um, there's no fact, it's not based on any kind of fact. It's a very strange animal, um, the conspiracy community. Um, facts don't matter. They don't really want to know uh, your facts. Um, there is a clear goal in mind. And the, um, the goal is to, by uh, the method, is to sow a lot of cognitive dissonance, uh, a, lot of, a lot of chaos, rule through chaos. To, um, but anyways, um, 
So I see this as, as a very serious problem when we no longer, when the cultural institution of truthfulness has broken down and basic civility has broken down. Um, I showed my kids a, a, uh, a debate, a pres presidential debate between Obama and um, Mitt Romney. And it, it, they were very, you know, clear and, and forceful in their argument, each of them, but they were so civil. And I played that for them and I said, this is a presidential debate. They were like, what? I didn't, I thought a presidential debate was when, you know, you, you know, yell at each other and, and you know, stomp at each other and, and interrupt each other. It was very important for me as, a fa as their father for them to see uh, the way it's supposed to be uh, before this breach, before this breakdown of basic uh, civility in our, in our country. So I, I was very alarmed uh, by this. And what really increased the, my sense of alarm was that groups that have titles, like on Facebook, that have titles like, we boycott anti-Semitism, like boycott anti-Semitism. They themselves, no matter what amount of proof that I brought to them, brought to them, uh, they would not disavow themselves of the Proud Boys. Why? Orthodox, right-wing people, Jewish people, lovers of Israel. Uh, why? Because Trump is their man for Israel. And they said, we're more concerned about the anti-Semitism on the left. And I said, if you have an organization which is called Boycott Anti-Semitism, you got to be against it on the left or the right. What are you following? Are you following Judaism or are you following Trumpism? And the fact that the president himself does not denounce the Proud Boys by name, they are associated with support for Donald Trump. There's no question about it. Mm -hmm. uh, they are unabashed and nobody contests that. Nobody says, no, they have nothing to, you know, nothing to do with Donald Trump. They, they are supportive. Mm -hmm. uh, they are coming en masse. We, we've already been notified of that. They are coming again mm. to uh, whatever they're going to do, I guess, contest in some way, manifest yeah. their opposition to the uh, counting of uh, electoral ballots for Joe Biden on January the 6th. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the president already said it's going to be wild. It's hard to imagine how it could be more wild than it was, although it could certainly become uh, more destructive and more violent uh, than it was uh, just a few weeks ago. So all this to say that they have at least tacit presidential endorsement and approval. Yes. Um, he, he seems to rely on them in some form, mm -hmm. uh, to lean on them. Uh, he doesn't want to offend them or alienate them. Uh, so there must be some value placed by him on their activities. 
Mm -hmm. And they're the ones who at least abided this slogan on the chest. This, mm -hmm. uh, there's only one way I can read this, Rabbi, and that is it's calling for further extermination of Jewish people. I mean, to say six million was not enough seems to suggest to me that it was an unfinished project and that there are too many Jews around today and they need to be annihilated. Yes. Well, nobody nobody tore that off of him. Nobody shamed him. Nobody said, you're not welcome here. You're ejected. Right. He continued to be among them. So the question is, do the Proud Boys actually embrace this? And if they do, uh, you know, we have something terribly, terribly serious here. So let's talk a little bit just about where the Proud Boys fit in the scheme of things right now. They are not the only right-wing extremist, white supremacist, uh, you know, yeah. uh, group or organization, antagonistic yeah. mm -hmm. uh, conspiracy, Group. And at the heart of it, by the way, is a conspiracy. There right. Is a conspira uh, there is a theory that there are those who are out to annihilate white people, or at least to reduce their power in the world. Right. Th this is bigger than the Proud Boys. Way bigger. The, I mean, there's QAnon, you know, there's the old KKK and, and the neo-Nazi movements, other white power groups. This is another organization, you know, which is most current and most powerful and uh, fluid. And for anyone who might be quick to just dismiss it as kookery, this is just, you know, weird people on the fringes. We know of at least one uh, newly elected member of Congress who is sympathetic to at least one QAnon, at least yeah, the QAnon, QAnon conspiracy yeah. group, which seems to keep close company with Proud Boys and yeah. others. And then, you know, we had a QAnon conspiracy theorist arrive here in Washington, where I am, mm -hmm. uh, and go to a pizzeria I'm very familiar with hmm. uh, and actually start shooting, fired an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle because he was convinced that there was a... Uh, a, a, a a cabal that, that mm -hmm. was sexually abusing uh, children. An international uh, children trafficking cabal amongst yes. the most powerful elite uh, liberal Democrats. And that somehow they were up to their nefarious work in the basement of that mm -hmm. pizzeria. Right. Uh, it was a complete fiction, a complete Right. Uh, break with reality. Now, uh, this whole peculiar thing about child trafficking, uh, accusing Joe Biden of being a pedophile, mm -hmm. kind of, in my mind, goes to the idea of, you know, this kind of toxic masculine protection of the women and children. Mm -hmm. A kind of ownership, like, mm -hmm. you know, you threaten the women and the children, it justifies whatever I might want to do to you. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, that seems to be a thread woven into this fetid fabric. Yeah, I, I think very much conspiracy so. theorists. So all of this is is really toxic. I mean, really poisonous to the social fabric, to uh, the body politic, to uh, our relationships with one another, to the sense of community, even patriotism as, you know, uh, citizens of the United States. All of this is just poisoned by this caustic, corrosive, element and it seems it's really psychologically destructive to the individuals who who hold these distorted perceptions of reality yes. that are very fear-based um that engender a very violent uh at least defensive if not offensive posture towards everyone else in the world who's out there as a threat to me and i'm ready to at least dominate and subjugate them if not destroy them mm -hmm. this is all at work here and we saw it 80 years ago in germany and elsewhere in europe it had its sympathizers here People say, well, come on, that stuff doesn't happen in the United States. In 1939, there was a giant rally at Madison Square Garden in New York. My father told me about it as I was growing up, and I didn't believe him. Mm -hmm. I said, Dad's exaggerating. He said there was a giant Nazi rally. They were giving the Hitler salute. Uh, they were beating people up just as they were in Germany. And it was right here. My dad was in the New York, was in Great Neck at that time and was very conscious of it as a 10-year-old boy. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, this stuff has happened here and continues to happen here. It's, you know, the ADL was formed after the Holocaust um, exactly for this tendency that it's a strange thing and it's, an, it's imperative that we understand how this hate works. Uh, those of us that uh, love love in the world, we also have to understand how hate works. And, uh, you know, it begins uh, with uh, othering other people, uh, whether they're Latino, whether they are Jewish. Uh, it begins with stereotypes. And probably the one thing I want to say, which is more most novel because a lot of things people already know is the fact that conspiracy theories feed off a kernel of truth or one little ember of truth. Um, and then they build structures that are 10, a hundred thousand times more distorted than the reality. We all know that there's some corruption. There are powerful forces in the world in industry that you know lobbyists of all kinds um that um you know will 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 pay um people on the hill uh to get their way uh and it's all it runs across all different kinds of uh nationalities races so that yes there 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 are things that are corrupt in our society um 
there are anomalies in the elections. There's some imperfection in um, the ballots, but over and over again, all the way up to the Supreme Courts in various states, these things have been looked at by very intelligent people, Republicans too, and they're, they're saying, no, uh, this is not, it's just not the case. Um, and and here we have, you know, I, I'm not trying to go partisan. If it was a Democrat, I'd say the same thing. And I'm known on public media to praise our president for the, the times that he did well. I'm a prison chaplain and his first step prison reform in the federal system was very, very good. Um, and there, you know, a few other things. I want, I'm not going to use the time for it, but people know that I call it as I see it. So it's not, you know, really, it's not a personal um, against a person or a party. Um, but um, so it begins with, with a measure of, of truth and then it's exaggerated um, into a monster. And one of the ways to know, since people are out there, when you're talking with someone and no, no matter any kind of fact that you might um, present them, when these channel changes, but what about this? But what about that? That's the telltale of a conspiracy thinker. The conspiracy theories are based on just little uh, uh, shreds, little shards of things here and there and everywhere, but nowhere and nothing. It has no substance. Uh, when, when, if you can't, you know, say, hey, uh, but you know, you said um, that there were, uh, let's say, the latest thing, um, you know, two hundred thousand more ballots than voted, you know, in Pennsylvania. See, Trump was right. But if you point out that the article said that it was only counting the ballots that were placed um, on November 3rd and it wasn't counting the mail-in ballots and a person, they won't say, oh, it wasn't, you know, and, and they go off and deflect to something else. Then, you know, you're talking with a person that has a conspiracy agenda that they're just they're not listening to you. They're just unloading a manifesto. Um, and it goes to deep feelings. There's a psychology. The people have written about this. It's, there's a lot of literature. It's a psychology of disempowerment and, and the elites ruling over us. And therefore, we, we give our li ourselves licensure to exaggerate and to lie for a political outcome. Um, they know, a lot of them know that they're lying, but they feel it's justified. Um, but many don't. And and like the Nazis, after the war, there's kind of a um, a, hypnot a hypnotic effect um, that um, these kinds of speeches and these kinds of thoughts give a person, and they fall under that spell. And I believe that you know people are going to wake up and and say, how the heck did I ever go along with that? And they'll be embarrassed. I know because it's happened to me before as well. To both of us, to me too, most certainly. Uh, it, it, I had to face my own awakening uh, yeah. in some ways. You know, it was like awakening out of a dream state and facing reality. 
my father used to say ad nauseum when I was a kid, but I really come to appreciate it. You know, there are those people who will always say, don't confuse me with facts. I've already made up my mind. And it seems to me there is a big ethical question. When we refuse to pursue the truth, to even investigate a claim, and we just rule it out uh, on its face, nope, I will not go there. I'm not going to discuss that. I'm not going to explore that. I'm not going to research that. Uh, I've already drawn my conclusion and uh, I will not be moved in that conclusion. Uh, yeah. that seems to me a, a kind of violation of the commandment against false witness. I mean, it, it's at least getting in that zone because I'm not even willing to explore what is truth. Mm -hmm. I, I have created my own reality and that's where I'm going to remain. And I won't, won't explore outside of that. Let, let me, uh, let me uh, kind of literally play devil's advocate here, at least yeah. as, as I yeah. see it and say, okay, but how, how can you say that when Again, as you alluded to earlier, the president has a Jewish son-in-law, a daughter who converted to Judaism, and Jewish grandchildren. Come on. You're being ridiculous to associate him with any of this. Proud Boys, this moniker, anti-Semitism, or everything that attends. How can that? That's impossible. He has those Jewish children that you referred to. So how do we, I believe that Donald Trump does radical good to cover up his radical evil. If you watch his, uh, the progression of things, whenever he does something, not, not always, but often. And I, I just informally noticed this whenever he does something, which is very, uh, bad, whether it be the, you know, at the border, and all of that issue, he will do something positive for Israel that, that is perceived as, as positive and favorable for the um, Israelis, uh, for the state of Israel, Israeli people, um, including the peace treaties, which are very good. Is, is, is it good to have peace, you know, with the United Arab Emirates? You betcha. Is it great to have peace with Morocco? Wonderful. We've been waiting for that for a long time. Radical, radical good there. Uh, Bahrain, uh, maybe even Saudi Arabia someday. Um, but that doesn't erase what's going on in America. Okay, you can give the Jews Jerusalem, and many Jews will say, "Wonderful, thank you. We we always knew that Jerusalem was the eternal capital of Israel." Yeah, there wasn't. There wasn't any, I mean, they weren't waiting for the United States federal government to answer that question for, <laughs> for the Jewish people, right? Yeah. I don't know of many Israelis who were waiting with bated breath to say, is Jerusalem going to be our capital or not? We have to wait for somebody in Washington, D.C. to tell us. I don't think so. Right, but, but he did it. Um, yes. Sure. And for people that think that's good, you know, I mean, I, people said, what do you think about it, Rabbi? Look, it is the capital 
it, I, I'm not, I don't think it's bad. I guess as a Jew, I'll say, I think it's good. All right. Um, but that doesn't mean, um, you know, that I think that Palestinians don't have rights um, and that we shouldn't make peace. You know, of course we need to make peace, you know, but that's a whole other issue that Palestinians also have to, takes two to tango, they have to come to the table, we have to sit down, we have to um, make make peace with each other. But um, but the, the point is that uh, he does things that are perceived as radically good to uh, give himself political cover for things that are, are, are radically evil. Um, now he is not a politician in Israel, he's a politician in America. White supremacy and, and these groups um, are in America. So uh, he never explicitly, you know, says thing that he's an anti-Semite. And it would be hard to understand him having that view. But he's playing, you know, he's playing the political game with them because he, he needs them. Um, not everyone is um, ignorant. I think that was a big mistake uh, that Hillary Clinton made that probably lost her the election when she referred to, uh, you know, 40% of the country as a, a a bundle of, I don't know what she's called them. Um, that is not really a very good thing to do. Um, I have relatives that voted for Trump the first time um, because for fiscal reasons, they're, you know, politically, uh, they're politically conservative. Um, and, you know, many people voted for Trump for the same old reasons, you know, um, issues of abortion, issues of um, you know, safety and security, and, um, smaller government supposedly, um, and all of those old reasons. We get it. We understand. And I can um, be at peace and uh, talk civilly with anybody that voted for Trump. But um, the, the problem is this sort of um, this element which tips them over the scale to the to the White House which includes these other groups. It wasn't, he doesn't have enough to win the presidency without them. He, he knows it. He's very smart. He's brilliant um, as a political uh, mind, uh, real politic. Uh, he knew that he didn't have enough. So he courts these groups um, and go tips, tiptoes up to that line as far as he possibly can. So when Nazis just ran over somebody, you know, in in Charlottesville, right? So he says, you know, we have good people and bad people on both sides. He's he's walking that tightrope to keep that element in his uh, in his side of the ledger. And and speaking of him, another one I'll throw at you is why are we even talking about Donald Trump? He's in office for less than a month. What I have argued is this is not going to go away right. at 12.01 p.m. on January the 20th. Right. Uh, in fact, I have warned that things may become more dangerous mm -hmm. uh, because when people have access to the levers of government, when they have the powerful luminaries, the presidency, the White House, the executive branch, the majority in the United States Senate, mm -hmm. the majority leader of the United States Senate, arguably 
at least philosophically, a majority of the Supreme Court of the United States, more federal judges mm -hmm. on the bench Absolutely. by appointment of this president than any other. So the guy who tacitly approves of Proud Boys and QAnon and others by extension, who does not denounce them or uh, you know, separate himself clearly and unambiguously right. uh, from them. There, there's a connection to that now, but once that no longer is present, people don't have one form of power, they take to themselves another form of power. Mm -hmm. And that can be physical violence, that can be uh, disruption of life, uh, everything from insults to bullets become means of power. How do you, what do you, what do you think, dear Rabbi? Uh, how I, do you advise? I feel that the last straw that that Trump has, and post Trump, let's let's I'll go from that to post Trump, um, is to get a real serious situation. You know, literally the streets in flame where he will have an excuse to call for martial law. I believe that's the, uh, I'm, I'm trying to channel him, you know? I believe that's what he's thinking, that if he, if he could get all kinds of crazy violence happening in the street, then he can have in his um, the conditions to justify martial law and hold on to the, the, um, the office for a period of time um, in which he would have a chance to explore other options to hold on to that seat. So um, that would be his last option. But, and therefore I think that we should stay home. This once happened with David Duke, where David Duke was expecting, you know, a big pushback and, no, and, and people in the town, I could send you, there's a little article on it, um, were advised to do not absolutely do nothing. Let them march, let them say what they're gonna say on, on this particular occasion and and uh, don't do any pushback because they're hoping for the pushback so that they get all of the, uh, the news and news means money and money means power. So, you know, my belief, my instinct is let them march, let them say whatever they wanna say just let the clock run down, no, make no ins, you know, I, I hope that, um, you know, that people do not take the bait and just let, let it pass. And this, like, like the angel of death, you know, going over the houses of the Hebrews. Okay, don't offer up your own firstborn child over this. Let, that, let them offer their own firstborn. Let it pass you know, that we'll have the salvation of the Lord in the morning. As, as we say in my circles, that'll preach. <laughs> um, just but, oh, Trump, but your point is well taken. And my, my, fa my father, who, you know, I know you have a mutual admiration for I him. do. I love your dad. <laughs> He's a wizened man and so delightful and a real thinker. So send, send my love and appreciation to him. I will.
And um, I guess I'm, I think of him because he, he's uh, very wise in these kinds of situations as well. And, and he was really very concerned about this kind of um, uh, thinking, this kind, you know, we have 71, 72 million people, okay, that um, I'm sure not all of them, are, you know, are on board for that, but even if a minuscule 1%, right, um, are people that think that they would, they could wear that t-shirt, then we, we do have a big problem on our hands. That's, uh, that's, you know, a football stadium full of people, even in the smallest estimate. Right. So here's my, here's the, um, the rub. It says, uh, each year when Purim comes and Purim is the next holiday, it says, Zecher Amalek Masha Asalacha Baderach. Remember what Amalek had done to you in the desert. And then we, 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 uh, come to the figure of Haman who represents, you know, a very, uh, terrible many know him payment yeah. many know him and um so why does it say re remember it says remember to forget to make it clear remember to forget and you know and to wipe out the um the remembrance it's it's not hard it's not easy to understand these terms you know it, if you've forgotten then you've forgotten if you're going to remember, then you haven't forgotten. <laughs> you know, it's a very strange, enigmatic kind of a commandment. And so here's how I make sense of it. That the hate isn't going to go away. It simmers um, underneath the surface of our society, almost every society. We always, human nature has a shadow, you know, to do a little Jungian uh, approach. And that shadow can be cultivated and enlarged. Um, so you have to keep remembering that about human nature um, in order to uh, keep it at the and the periphery. Keep it to the side. Keep the shadow to the side. Keep the shadow below. Don't bring it into the uh, the mainstream media. Don't give it a voice. Just each generation, we have to push it to the side. Uh, and so remember to forget. In other words, don't take forget literally, but remember to uh, nullify it. Remember to push it to the sides. Don't think wow. that it's ever really gone. It makes me think of what we Christians read in the New Testament. Uh, you know, it's, we should not even speak of those things that are done by those in secret. Mm. Keep it in the shadows. Yes. Um, don't bring it out. Uh, where it gets attention, right? Uh, your good advice about you know letting this thing pass uh, just makes me think of good counsel for parents when a child is having a temper tantrum. Don't make it the center of attention. Let that pass, and then right. praise them and uh, and bring them forward when it's the best of behavior. Yes. Um, and and I do think, you know, we have violated that with this president. We, you know, mm. often, you know, he took the stage at his worst uh, mm -hmm. over and over and over again. And I think 
media and others, we all have to sit with ourselves and say, how were we part of this, fostering it, mm. um, exacerbating it, uh, yeah. and so on. So let's let's let this thing pass over. At the same time, as you say, we have to remember to forget. We have to know why we're doing that. Right. And what the nature of this thing is. Why does its nature require us to keep it in the margins, on the in the shadows, in the periphery, and not in the center? What what is it about it? And and this little signal that has come out that you sent to me about mm. the T-shirt, about the Proud Boys, what we're going to see again, inevitably, on January the 6th in some form here in uh, my town, uh, is a reminder this thing is present. You know, again, as we Christians would say, would name it as sin. Mm -hmm. this sinfulness, this seed of sin that is constantly present. And, and we have to deal with that, uh, name it, and understand it in order to, to appreciate the danger of it. And, it. and the danger is here. It's present here. Uh, it's been uh, helped along over the last four years, I would say, in a way it hadn't been uh, in at least a very long time when it comes to the presidency. So all of this helps us, Rabbi, thank you for bringing my attention to it. Thank you for bringing our attention to it. Now let's put it into those shadows and mm -hmm. be conscious of it and watchful for it, but not give it any inordinate attention. Uh, it doesn't deserve it. It certainly doesn't deserve it. Uh, we should think of those things that are beautiful and helpful and worthy and noble and truthful. And it seems to me today that truth is the antidote to much of this poison. So uh, I'm going to keep speaking and love, with you. Love. Don't hate the people that fell for this, okay? Because we all fell for something before. Which Continue to love great. them, bring them back. That's what love will endure, truth will endure, falsehood will fall away, and the darkness will be overtaken by the light. I wish I had your book at my uh, reach, and I know it's here. The uh, love's up. Wait, 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 did you see it on my shelf here? Wait, I, I, I had it right here. Did I put it on my... I know you have it. Do you have it handy? Do you have um, it? A copy here. I have it upstairs. Okay. Well, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna put it up. Uh, the love zap. Uh, I was one of the first to read it. Thank you. I was. Thank you for reading it. I, I was really deeply honored to read one of the first uh, iterations, draft manuscripts that came out. But uh, I was deeply affected by it, and I carry mm. it with me. I know where it is. It's uh, it's above my head at my bed because the, that's where the I keep book, my copy. <laughs> it's the kind of book I pull down and read. I have to remind myself, you know, at night when I <laughs> when I need uh, something soothing, and it it's restorative. The yep. Love Zap by Rabbi Shoal Praver. We'll put a link up to it uh, with this. 
uh, recording, and this will be, this was recorded, it will be posted. Uh, folks, I'm so sorry I couldn't get you at Rob Shank or Rev Rob Shank. I apologize. Sorry I had to come over here late, but you'll be able to see the whole thing. I'll post it at, on all of those sites. Rabbi, thank you. It was a delight uh, to see your face. Colleague, thank you. To have the conversation. I hope it won't be too long when we can sit with one another in proximity again. But you've brought yourself to our circles here, and we're all grateful for it. Uh, I wish you and all yours a very, very much happier and more hopeful new year. Amen. Amen. And I'll also see you, you and your family. I'll see you next year. Okay. Shalom. Shalom.